Welcome back to another episode of Movie Madness. I'm your host, Henry Thompson, and joining me as always is my brother, Wayne Thompson. Wayne, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. He's full of pep. He's full of enthusiasm. And we're joined by a guest today, uh, Mr. Steve Wallet, who's an acclaimed author and now filmmaker. Uh, is this your second feature film you've done recently? Um, This is my hundred and... 50th or so. <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit off in my research then. Holy Jesus. But yeah, yes. But uh this is my uh my second one that I've actually directed. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's what right, I, was, right. I was just about to say. I think it's one of your first directions, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pro- this is my prolific producer uh, though. Yes, absolutely. And this is my first feature that I've directed that's a narrative. My other one was a documentary. Oh, sweet. Ah, excellent. Cool. Well, before we get into it fully and talk about, obviously, your company and everything that you do, we have to ask you the four questions. The four We questions. ask everyone the four questions. All right, go a, for being it. Being a filmmaker, I'm sure you're going to be cool with these. Question the first. As a filmmaker, if you could work with any actor, living or dead, who would it be and why? Hmm. I would have to go with, uh, oh man, what's his name? Let's think here. God, that's a hard one. I Greta Garbo. Mm, that's right. an interesting okay. answer. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, I know she's old school, but hey. uh, honestly, something about Greta Garbo has always grabbed me when I've watched her on film, uh, the style that she portrayed as and something had, about yeah. her eyes. I yeah. actually, I actually appreciate the, the fact you've actually gone back into because most people try to stay relatively modern. I like that. Yeah, mm. that's a good one. All right, question number two. Again, as a filmmaker, if you could work with any director, living or dead, who would it be and why? Luke Besson, by far my favorite director. I've liked every film that he's ever done. Um, some of them have been better than others, obviously, but something about his style of filmmaking just really appeals to me. Definitely unique. Yes. Uh, I am a huge Luke Besson fan. That is a great answer. I have to ask you as a sub question then, what's, what's your favorite and least favorite Luke Besson? Cause he does have some, I wouldn't say stinkers, but I would say some lower wrong tier Luke Bessons. All right. My least favorite would be Valerian. I thought Thank the movie you. had so much potential. It, it was such a great concept, but it failed to uh, project on the screen the way that I would have expected. And my favorite would be Wasabi. Mm, that's an interesting answer. Yeah, I definitely. like that. See, because I would, I would have said my favorite for his is always going to be The Professional. Well, but, that would be my number two. All right, nice. What? <laughs> Is it just me or did you, when you went to go see Valeria, were you hoping for like the fifth element part two and hugely disappointed by that? Do you know, with Valeria, I thought it started out okay and then just peed it off. (laughs) Oh, I love the intro. And and the story, the story was too grand for a two hour time slot. They needed to do that as a series. Yeah. I concur with that. Awesome. Okay. Well, okay. So then number three. 
if you could spend 24 hours with any character from film history, not the actor, but the character, who would you have to spend a day with from film history? Jack Sparrow. Okay, would you be in his time or would he be in your time? No, I'd like to go to his time, hang out on his ship and get involved in the crazy things that he's involved in, knowing he's going to screw me over in the end. I'm good with it. <laughs> You're so still cool good, old-fashioned fun. Nice. Yeah, I've, well, that- I've, I've, I've always seen myself as a bit of a pirate or a Viking, so that, that works for me. I, I will have to dig into why you see yourself as a pirate or Viking in a moment, but you might have already answered the final question, which is, if you could be inside of a movie for a day and not have to worry about like getting killed or anything, but inside any movie in history for one day in the world of that movie, which movie would it be? The 13th warrior. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Now that is a really yeah, interesting pick because really there goes a movie that I think never got the acclaim. It really it wanted. It didn't. Uh, I think it's one of the best movies that has been made in the past 20 years. Yeah. The movie totally flopped but i watched that movie probably about once every 10 days wow i hope john mctiernan's listening to feel a bit of gratification from that one well also antonio banderas because didn't he get slate for that yeah um, and i actually thought he was really good in it yeah he um everything about the movie uh the critics hated it it flopped in the theaters it barely made the money that it cost to produce it and Honestly, it's a great film, and the it book is. is even better. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I wish they stuck to the original title of Eaters of the Dead, because I love the yes. book. And when I saw the movie, I was underwhelmed when I first saw it. And then I saw it again years later and bought it on DVD and everything. And I thought, you know what? This is not nearly as bad as I thought it was. And I think it has that kind of delayed appreciation for most people and why it's now seen as a little bit of a cult movie. So does that not well, beg the question, was it ahead of its time? I think it was, to be honest. And it's honestly, the soundtrack in it is what really does it for me. It's um that that soundtrack. I'm a, I, I play role-playing games, you know? It's, mm-hmm. We'll play that soundtrack during our battles and stuff because it just gets you right into the mood. Oh, nice. Well, that's what, a really good answer, man. I like that. I'm just looking at your picture on, on this Zoom at the moment. And I don't know about you, Hank, but... Boy, you put a Santa hat on that guy. Ah, oh, you're thinking he would fit for, like, Fright Seekers. Ah, oh, come on. Screams Fright Seekers. I will explain what he's talking about in just a yeah, second. But thank you for answering the questions. They were really good answers. I thought that was very cool. Um, what, what Wayne's talking about is there's a, a script that we've wrote that is an award-winning script that we're trying to get the funding for, and part of it is, is an evil Santa. To promote it, I was going around dressed as Santa uh, with half my face burned off. And uh, I think he's looking at you and thinking, oh, I'm replacement just looking at that beard. I will send you a photo from a few years ago. I played an evil Santa. Oh, wow. Really? There you go. Yeah. See, there must have been something in that picture. <laughs> My Lord. So tell us about uh, Furious Nerd Productions, man. So uh, we started out as uh, Nerd Rage News, and it was a uh, blog about uh, gaming and nerd culture. Mm-hmm. And as the years went on, I started to uh, use the connections that I made through that to make movies. And eventually I was like, no, Nerd Rage News isn't a good name for a production company, so let's rebrand the company. 
mm-hmm. and we rebranded and here we are today. Is nice, movie cool. something you always saw yourself doing or was it just by chance? Uh, I, I did it as a hobby since about 2006. I, I got involved in little things here and there, nothing major, you know, Yeah. but I always wanted to really make my own big productions. And it was my wife died in uh, 2020 and our oh, business shit. burned down pretty much at the same time. And it, uh, that propelled me to rebrand myself. I was like, you know what? Rather than rebuild the business, why don't I just uh, start something new? Let's make a movie. Hey, well, that's it. I had a few because that, that, that sounded tragic. That and, you know, our condolences for that. But wow. To go through two big losses yeah. back to back and then to, instead of to wallowing in it, but to then push forward. Hey, man. Just, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, to, to be honest, it felt like a country music song. My dog died. <laughs> Truck died, my wife died, my business burned down. Jeez. Oh shit, man! <laughs> Damn. So yeah, yeah, that was a very <laughs> poor timing. But yeah. hey, you've you've come back stronger through those experiences, and that's an amazing thing. Not everyone can manage that. So hey, man, again, like Wayne said, hats off to you on that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Amazing. So, what got you? Uh, what What was the impetus of your new film, Jack Be Nimble? I watched, by so, the way, I just want to say real quick, I watched the film. Uh, I saw the screener of it. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was good fun. I really enjoyed it. I did think that it, at first it was going to go a hundred percent Bubba Hotep, but it didn't no, go a hundred percent Bubba so Hotep. Did I. But even before I started watching it, I thought, well, with Vernon Wells and Bailing, it's not what I expected. Very good. Yeah. Bubba Hotep was definitely an influence. So I'm, I'm glad you uh, got that reference there. It's, um, well, let's see. I've, I've been a gamer since the 70s and uh, my gaming group I've been gaming with for over 40 years. And we were getting drunk one night and talking about what's going to happen to us in another 20 years. And the concept was we'd all end up in the same nursing home with dementia <laughs> and other issues. And we would believe that the doctors and the nurses were some kind of a nefarious thing, whether they would be monsters or demons or something of that nature. And we'd go on a quest to slay them all. And I decided, why not write the script for this? And I wrote the script and I sent it off to a guy named Ray Biddle. And he went through and streamlined it for me. And then it was coming up with the money and stuff to make it happen. And here we are today. It's done. Yeah, definitely. Definitely well done. I mean, again, going back, I mean, I grew up with Vernon Wells. And when you think Mad Max 2 and Commando, to watch him in this kind of role was actually totally surreal. Am I the only one that remembers him mostly from the two fortresses? I thought those were two amazing movies. Do you know what, though? The only problem is not many people remember those movies. As great as the first one especially is, not many Yeah, I don't think I actually saw them. Oh, oh really? Fortress, oh, wow. Fortress is literally just good fun. It is just okay. I'm gonna have to go look them up. Good. The fun. second fortress is good fun. The first fortress is like a really dark Australian tale about children being kidnapped by yeah, that was him a totally, and his pals. That's a totally different fortress, though. Yeah, very different, okay. but they're both the same title. Yeah, yeah they um, are. Okay, well, I bet you've seen him in inner space, though. That was a hell of a role. Yes, that yeah, yeah, was commanding. But that's what I did most for until this. We did a uh, we did a cast party at the end of the um, 
filming and Vernon, uh, he got up and gave a speech and he said that this film was the most magical experience he had had since working with Mel Gibson on The Road Warrior. Wow. Wow. That's a hell that's, of a statement. That's a hell of a statement indeed. Yep. Very nice. Well, I we got to start. That from- made you feel good. <laughs> Oh man, that that boosted my ego. It made my head blow up. <laughs> I bet. Excellent. Well, because we're all independent filmmakers, the first question that every one of the people that listen to us is going to have is, "How did you go about raising the money?" Because that's always the hurdle that most yeah, people stumble on. Well, my business had just burned down, and I had uh, insurance money coming in for the various uh, products that I lost. And I just repurposed that money to this film and made it work. Oh, wow. Hey, good call. So took the yeah. risk on your own, your own dime, basically. Well done. Yes. And, it, and it's a hell of a risk because if oh, this yeah. movie flops, I've lost everything. Oh, <laughs> shit, man. That's the world of filmmaking, though, isn't it? It's a crazy business yeah. to be in. Yeah, but I'm, I'm taking a chance. I think the film, I think the concept is good. I think the film is uh, decent enough to do well. And I'm... I'm very confident that we will we will see this as a cult film within the nerd community moving forward. That's one thing I was going to say was when I was saying it, I expected it to go full Bubba Hotep. I thought it was going to be basically a lot of jokes as it went through. And I felt like the tone of it, it did have you know humorous dialogue and things here and there. But the tone was fairly consistent, especially toward the third act where it's a lot more played seriously. And I thought that was uh, not what I expected when I first heard the concept. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that works the, for it. Of course. I'm, I, I personally have never been very good at writing comedy. So I, rather than trying to write this as a comedy, I just based this on my gaming. Mm-hmm. I looked at my gaming group. Every character that is in this movie is based on a real person that sits at my gaming table. And with the gaming, by the way, is it almost always like Dungeons and Dragons, or do you guys play a lot of different tabletops? We played well over a hundred different uh, wow. role playing games over the years, probably in the area of five or six hundred different board games and other tabletop games. Oh wow! So well, very well versed with it then. <laughs> going yes. quickly back to your um, Bubba Hotep reference, Hank, and the humor. That's where I kind of got the Bubba Hotep reference from the humor because I actually watched uh, Jack, which is Vernon Wells, as kind of a father figure to uh, Bruce Campbell. There was I just, could see that. There was just something about the performance, what he did. I mm. could so see. You know when he did Ash versus the Evil Dead? And I think it was Lee Majors played his dad. I think it would have been, actually watching that, it would have been way more believable if it was Vernon Wells. I can see that. I, I actually, I can see that. Um, I, I never saw it until you said it, but now that you said it, that is so clear in my head. Yeah, it's actually, it's it's really cool. If you go through and look at these performances, like Vernon Wells and Bai Ling, they are such accomplished actors. And when they have their scenes together, it, it just feels very natural, everything that they were saying and doing together. And while maybe not the whole film felt natural, those scenes just, man, they just click so well for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was definitely nice to see that both of them had a lot of time to actually be characters and flesh them out. Cause I think of, I look back at all the movies I've seen like Vernon Wells in and he's mostly been 
more he's of a just, background person. And, exactly, and most of them I agree. Him I think that's why I appreciate this his character in this because he did get to be an actor. He had to shine as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was actually, he was supposed to play the character of Otto. That's what I originally hired him for. And we were trying to get Lee Majors to play the main role. But after talking, oh, wow. like, you know, no, let's just go with Vernon for the main role. And I brought Steve Silver in to play the Otto character. And I think it was the right choice. Very really do. Very coincidental how I've just mentioned Lee Majors Ash vs. the Evil Dead. And yet Vernon Wells should have been it. And you've chose Vernon Wells over Lee Majors. That's, that's, yeah. Something there. That's crazy. Yeah, most definitely. So was that just done through like traditional casting? You just went through a casting agency or how did you get in touch with these guys? I took out ads in uh, several of the casting uh, networks around the world, as well as um, doing social media posting. I interviewed over 700 people wow. and I chose the people that I thought would be fun to work with. You know, I love that attitude because we've <laughs> of, we've often said would we work with certain actors, and I often think to myself, no, because I couldn't handle the stress. I didn't. Yep. Being, I didn't being locked up. <laughs> yeah, so, there there were there were a number of far more accomplished actors that wanted to be part of this project, but I did not think I would get along with them on the set. And you guys have made films, you know. We mm-hmm. we did. In in eleven days, we did twenty five days worth of work, and yep. we only had a three man crew. Yep, that's more. That's how we work. Yep. Yeah. So you want to work with people that you like. I mean, if you're going to be working that hard and that intense, you definitely need people that you like on that. You've set. got to get it's on the, with each other, don't you? You've got to. Yep. Yes, you're going to have your little hiccups along the way, but you've got to be able to get over them as well. So yes. You, yeah. I totally and, understand what you're saying. I was looking into the uh, the background of the movie a little. This was done throughout the lockdowns and pandemics. Uh, so it was all like you had to have medical staff on and checking temperatures and all that sort of stuff. Is that right? What yes. was the major restrictions that well, posed we, you for that? We had double layers of two different layers of uh, medical requirements. We were filming in an actual mental health facility. Wow. So we had to deal with the state requirements for a mental health, uh, for a hospital, basically. Okay. Wow. And we had to deal with the SAG requirements. SAG did not give us permission to actually start shooting till about eight hours before we started rolling. Really? Holy Damn. crap. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was very concerned that we were going to uh, be rolling this film as not a SAG film because we were having such a problem getting them to approve it because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's had a lot to answer for, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, wow. it was very rough. And then, um, you know, we, we luckily we were filming uh, at the end of summer. So everybody, when they were not shooting, they could go outside and get fresh air and that could get them away from the wearing the mask and all that other crap, you know? Oh God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, to push you that, but I'll tell you uh, that location really works for the film. Cause it obviously felt so authentic, but that's cause it was. Well, funny enough, that was one that was good. That was going to be one of my questions. No, I was just saying it, it seems so authentic. And Sorry, obviously dude, that's because it was, you know, it didn't feel like you were on a bunch of sets. Yeah, felt exactly. Like you were really in a location. Yeah. And to know that it's actually used for that real purpose. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it was um, the, the reason it looks so decrepit is the floor we were filming on was going through renovations. 
And that fit the script really nicely. And we, we actually had a patient got a fever. One of the patients had a fever one day. We moved the entire production overnight and we moved it into a basement and I rewrote the screenplay so that it would fit doing the sh- scenes in the basement. Like all those scenes where they're sitting around playing yeah, the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're in a basement of a house a few miles from the facility. It's amazing how you can just turn things around to make it work though, isn't it? When you're working on yeah. low budgets like this, you've got to think on your feet all the time. It, it's a crazy thought process. Yes, but- and it's nonstop. And at the end of the day, you're so tired. I remember my feet were hurting so bad at the end of every day I was limping off of the set. Yeah. Yeah. But I tell you, you've had that, uh, that spark of that whole, you know, problems create ingenuity. Not everyone can pull that off, man. So again, accomplishment there. I've, I've seen people. Yeah. I got really lucky with, uh, with people that showed up and worked for me like Michelle Brown, Houston. Um, I brought her on to be my production manager. She, she also played a couple of the roles during the film. Um, she was the uh, mortician and she playing one of the dying patients. And uh, she, if it wasn't for her, we would not have been able to get this film done because she was handling all the behind the scenes stuff while I was handling everything with the camera and the lighting and all that stuff. She was getting everybody organized, making sure people were fed, handling transportation. I mean, crazy amount of work. And this was her first time ever doing that job. And they are sometimes the unsung heroes on films. Yeah. Oh, I always say a, a good uh, line producer or our script supervisor can be an unbelievable asset to have. Exactly. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. So, and it's hard finding people that are, are reliable to do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Very hard. Very hard. But yeah. It sounds like you find a good crew that worked efficiently with you. That's really good. Yes. And Especially actually, with a, such a small crew as well. Yes. And most of the people that were involved with the film with us, that we've become such good friends, we've been making short movies together just as let's get together on a weekend and shoot for the weekend and we'll make it up. Everything doing improv, you know? Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's very cool, man. So I got to ask. So obviously you said earlier that you've uh, produced like 150 uh, films over the years. Uh, Have those all been just like, were they hands on where you were getting involved as a full on time producer or were you just more of a money guy or was that like okay. crowdfunding? So I, um, I owned a health food store. Uh, I, uh, my wife, uh, her family started it and I ran the store with her for over 25 years. Mm. So that was my principal job. And the filmmaking was more of a hobby. So uh, a lot of films I backed financially. Some films I came on um, because I was working as a, on a consulting basis. Some mm-hmm. films I acted in, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And was there any particular ones of those that kind of inspired you to get more hands on or, or taught you what you were needing to know to, to be able to accomplish your film? So I was working with this guy named uh, Brian Barsuglia. Um, he's actually made a number of movies with Vernon Wells, of all people. And <laughs> while working with him on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that was when I really started to want to do this myself because he was working with small crews, yet he was producing a film that looked like a good, like, like something made by BBC, 
Yeah. You know, and I was like, wow, he's able to pull this off with no money and the small crew. And he's got Vernon Wells and he's got Ricky, um, uh, Mickey Rooney and a bunch of other named actors on this project. And I'm like, how the hell is he doing this? So me and him, we, we started talking and as we moved forward through several other projects. And when I decided to do this project, he gave me a lot of advice that helped me put this together. Mm. See, it's really nice when 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 I hear stories like that because um, over here in the UK, very very hear stories of that nature. But I know Hank grew up in America and he sees it all. He's seen it all the time, and I've been across America. And the the, the 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 support you guys give each other in America is amazing. I think when it comes to film and I personally believe, and I just wish that would come across here a bit more sometimes. But uh, it's great when people will advise you and give you the correct advice as well. Yeah, I don't know how well you know uh, the UK, Steve, but like um, where I come from, I I grew up in Florida and I knew a lot of filmmakers there and everyone would kind of support each other enough to give a little bit of guidance, a little bit of background or help introduce you to people and so on. I come here and it's like everyone tries to hide what they're doing like only i can do this no one else may know of the secrets i possess and it feels very much like you're always butting heads with everyone just to find out what they're even up to everyone's working in te- in secret instead of tandem to be the only ones that can accomplish something and i don't get why it's so competitive instead of collaborative in the uk but i we come right. across it all the time it's weird i I, I've seen that with working in um, uh, several other countries over the years. It's uh, the, these small cultural differences can really throw you off. Like yeah. um, I was in Eastern Europe and I remember I, when when uh, it turns out I'll see you later as a threat in Eastern Europe. Really? Yeah. Means you're going to come back and kill them. I later. can kind of understand that, but wow, I would <laughs> never, ever have thought that. That's such a common phrase in the UK as well. Yeah, so it's it, these little minor cultural differences are really cool when you move from place to place, but they can really put you in a bad position. Damn, man, yeah, wow. Yeah, tell me about it, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, we miss that kind of that that camaraderie of of helping one another and helping that whole. But then again, that's the whole culture I grew up with was everyone wants everyone else to be successful. Yeah, um, we don't just hate on everyone for it whereas over here there's much more of a can you believe so and so is doing so well lucky bastard like like it's it's mean-hearted i don't get why it's so mean-hearted especially when you're making films something that's you're creating dreams for people you're giving people experiences that should be a magical thing we often see if everybody just actually worked together we might actually make things but instead it's such a fight um, I mean, we've been fortunate because we've built a good, like 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 yourself, uh, Steve, we, we've managed to build a good team over the years and we support each other all the time. So we've been quite fortunate in that sense. But I see it all the time with other people. It's, it's sad. Right. Well, I tell you, we with our group, with this with this core group that we had for Jack B. Newman, we got really lucky because one, many of us became really good friends. But even after the production, you know, we've been just in post-production for about 18 months. And during that 18 months, I kind of have become a mentor for a number of the people that were involved in the film, helping them with various things, um, how, how to make their reels, how to, how to get a job, how to do this, that, and the other, things with contracts, all kinds of stuff. Oh, and it's fantastic. really amazing because 
when you sit down and you help somebody in, in a, like that, it comes back. It always comes back, you know, and it benefits you down the road. So it's not only are you helping somebody with their career, you're helping them become a better storyteller. You're helping yeah. them make more people happy. And honestly, that is the greatest gift you can give the world. If you are making people happy, you are doing the world a service. Yep. I mean, that's the whole reason I got into acting. I started off as an actor first, and the whole reason was because I just wanted to entertain. Um, and then, obviously, I met Hank when I, um, I actually auditioned for one of his films, and it, we just grew from there. I just wanted to make movies and just, you know, being more creative and in the entertainment field and everything. And so, yeah, I can totally agree with what you're saying there. I love that whole yeah. attitude. It's it's such a small thing to take time out for another pe- person, especially when you're talking about a, a very difficult field to break into storytelling. You know, even getting something published or making a film, even if it's low budget, it's always a massive amount of work and a massive amount of effort to tell that story. So any support you give that person to to empower them is so worthwhile. And it kills me when I see people who don't have that attitude. I, I completely agree with you. A lot of people get hung up when it's all money game. It's mm-hmm. all about how much they're going to make, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or they get their egos caught up in it. And you can't do that with this type of work. You cannot get caught up in your own, own ego. You have to because this is a collaborative effort. Filmmaking mm-hmm. is not one person. Yeah, you, you might know Johnny the big screen, but it's not one person. It's it's a hundred or a thousand people behind him making him look good. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's just no way you can make a movie by yourself. It's as simple right. as that. Yeah, I we just I just got back from a uh, convention in Massachusetts uh, called TotalCon, Total Total Confusion Gaming Convention, and we did a screening of Jack Be Nimble there, and that was one of the things that we were talking about with the audience was how many people are involved in the making of a film that you have no idea who they are. We always hear in the Oscars, you know, best actor. Honestly, I want to know who was the best editor, who was the best yeah, cinematographer. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's funny because over here in the UK, I've had the privilege of working on UK um, like ITV uh, projects, BBC projects, and things like that. And I've often said to these guys, I must prefer the independent scene because everybody's so more down to earth, so more helpful, supportive, friendly. It gets so cold and even lonely sometimes when you're working on the bigger projects. Yeah, most definitely. And I I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I've been on sets where you're not even allowed to talk to the director. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. we. I was on one film and the lead actor at the time actually came on. We were sitting on the bus waiting for him. And he came on to talk to us and he got wrong. And he was like, hang on, why am I getting wrong? If I want to come on and talk to these guys, I'll talk to these guys. And he chased the um, producers. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been on a couple of sets for people. This son of a bitch over here is eating a sandwich. How dare he eat a sandwich? And it's like, well, he's 45 feet away from the camera. I don't think it's going to be a problem. He's behind the camera. Well, it's bothering me. Get rid of him kind of attitude. It's like, whoa, dude, he's, he needs to eat a sandwich, man. He's got his low blood sugar. Calm down. It's not affecting the production itself. No need to wig out. But some people, they run it like a like a dictatorship as opposed to a collaborative thing. 
I do believe that the director should have final say on everything. Uh, but any good director listens to everyone around him to make the best decisions. They don't just go I, my way or the highway. And I see a lot of that whole, I've become a director because I want to be in charge of everybody, not I want to work with everybody. And I think that's right. the whole wrong attitude to have. See, a good director should have a, should be able to work with his team and like you said, work together. Listen, talk, explain. If he doesn't agree with it, tell them why and so forth. Not just, oh, no, it's crap, I'm not listening. You know, but it does happen. No, no, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things we did with Jack B. Nimble. When I got there, I brought all the actors together and we talked and they're memorizing their lines and stuff. And I told them, look, this is about all of us. You know, you guys, these lines are a guideline for how I want the scenes to play out. But if you have better lines, by all means, use them. You know, let's let's make this as natural, as organic as we possibly can. And you really see it, especially in the gaming scenes, when the guys are all sitting around playing their games together. In those scenes, it feels like a real role-playing game because they were so natural with each other. And, yeah, they modified the lines a little bit to fit their own local uh, accents and dialects, you know? Which yeah, is I did key, feel there was it? a good camaraderie in those scenes. That's a fact. Came across. Yeah, yeah most definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, what? I um sorry, go sorry, on. go ahead. No, no, you first. Uh, You're one, the guest. One, of, one of the things that I also saw that uh during the course of it was when we when we when we've really got pushed up to we were really in a crunch, you know, because we were behind schedule and things like that. By allowing them that freedom, they didn't feel stressed. Mm. They didn't feel the the pressure to get that line perfect. Do you know what I mean? It's not mm. about getting it perfect. It's about telling a story. And you probably know yourself as, as doing some acting yourself, Steve, that sometimes when you have those lines to deliver, it sometimes actually distracts you from the actual acting side of it because you want to get the lines out so perfect. And like you see, if you're given that leeway of just, you know, say how you would see it, it helps. It helps you yeah. become that performer even more and getting that character even more. I think it shows as well that you're thinking about the the best thing for the film and the overall enjoyment factor and the storytelling as opposed to being egotistical and my words are that important. Because like, for example, here in the UK, when I write something, I write it obviously quite American because that's how I grew up. But then you adapt that to a British actor with a British accent. They don't know how to say the right words, you know, asshole, instead of like, you know, they would say arsehole or whatever. And they try to match the way I've written. And I go, no, 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 man, make it yours. Make it natural. It's not my words are not precious. As long as you're hitting the story beats, everything else is do it your way. Then it'll feel like you're a real person to the audience, a real character, not just some guy reading a script. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. And that's uh, one thing we had, uh, we had, well, obviously, Vern Wells is from Australia. You had Bai Ling from China. Mm -hmm. And then you have all these people from all over the United States. And the United States has so many different accents. <laughs> I can't yeah. all these accents. I don't know how, how to, what their local idioms are. So it was nice to give them that freedom to bring their own natural element, their natural way of speaking into these roles. Definitely. Uh, Again, it comes across. Um, Steve, where can people see this movie? 
So right now it's making the rounds in the film festivals. Uh, probably around July or August, it'll hit worldwide release. It should be on most streaming platforms, um, Google, Apple, Amazon, but we're trying to get a theatrical release as well. That hasn't been signed yet, but I'm hopeful. Am I awesome. right? In, am I correct in thinking that you've already won nine awards and got two nominations as well? Uh, we've won 14 awards. Oh, 14 now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 14 awards at our first four festivals. That's oh, awesome. very nice. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm feeling very good about that. We've uh we've also received a number of nominations, and I think we've been accepted into uh, four more festivals that I'm aware of right now for um, official selection. Hopefully, we'll win more awards at them. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Now, yeah. far as uh, oh, go on. Okay, one other um, the New Jersey Horror Con in Atlantic City. There will be a screening at that, and there will be a screening at the Rising Phoenix Game Con in New England in April as well. Cool. Excellent. Do you have the dates for those? Uh, I can send them to you afterwards, yeah, but no, please don't. Do. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, do you have like a, obviously, I know you got like the, uh, the Furious Nerd website and everything. Does that have details of like screenings or anything on it? Uh, we've been putting the screenings up on the Facebook page. Uh, if you go to uh, Jack Be Nimble the movie, at Jack Be Nimble the movie on Facebook, you can see them. Excellent. So that's where people can see if they, if they happen to be in an area for a screening. Awesome. That's great. Yes. And any anything, any news related to it is being posted there. Excellent. So that's a place to keep your uh, eyes and ears peeled, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to check out this flick before it gets a world record release, obviously. I would yeah, actually, the, really, you're going to these gaming conventions. You get to game all weekend, have a great time, and you get to see a free movie. There you go. Bonus upon bonuses. Cannot sniff at that, man. And especially to an extent with the whole, obviously, you said you've been doing the tabletop stuff for many, many years. Do you feel there's like a a very structured audience for that like you wrote it in those people in mind or did you try to make this much more broad appeal i tried I don't to go play with tabletop broader, and i thought i still yeah. enjoyed it yeah i i tried to write it with a broader appeal but uh somebody that's involved in uh comic books and games is going to see a lot of easter eggs in this movie mm -hmm. okay and little inside jokes that they might get that a non-gamer might not get but it's written in such a way that the non-gamers that are watching this will still enjoy it yeah i've never played a tabletop game in my life and yeah i enjoyed it so yeah totally yeah, it was uh, the the only um, we did uh, the special effects are like a Sergio Argento type feel like 1970s special effects. Mm -hmm. The reason I went with that was these are old gamers. So that's the special effects they would have grown up on. And yeah. I thought it was a nice touch there. Ah, cool. Yeah, I did think some of the special effects felt uh, without sounding negative dated in a way that felt as it went on deliberate. And I just assumed yeah. it was meant to be this way. Um, I think there was only like two effects where I thought, oh, those aren't very clean. Whereas the rest I thought fit really well to the movie. And I think it really does kind of give it like the um, its own unique feeling in time and place, if you get my drift. 
Yes. And if I had more money, we would have done a lot more with special effects. But, you know, limited budget, you work with what you got. Oh, yes. Of course, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, still, for what you've done, though, is amazing. Oh, yeah. And the thing Uh, is, oh, sorry, go on, Steve. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the way the film looks, um, a man named uh, John McClung, he was my cinematographer. He was a master with that red camera. I he did things with that camera I never would have thought of. And a lot of the way the images look are purely this man's uh, skills. Mm. Now, the thing is, it's funny because if you uh, am I right in thinking the movie was made for about 200, 200,000? Yes. Yeah. And if you talk to a regular person on the street, that seems like a tremendously huge amount of money. But if you talk to a filmmaker, that is barely enough money to make a prov- a proof of concept. It's not even you know a budget. I mean? <laughs> I mean, I've known I've seen short films at festivals that were made for two, three million dollars. Yeah. And they're like 10 minutes long. And they say and- they were scraping the barrel. And they're scraping the barrel. They've got no named actors. And here you've got <laughs> right. this pulled out for 200 grand. I think it's a hell of an achievement, dude. It speaks volumes. They may. It really does. Yeah. It, uh, it, it was really it was really scary as hell working with that budget. Because it's uh, when you start pricing out how to do everything, it, it comes down to what can I cut to make this possible? Mm-hmm. And that's why we did it with such a small cast and crew. I mean, it's if I would have brought in a traditional crew for this, this film would have been three or four million dollars. Easily. Yep. Easily. Yeah. And this is the funny thing that a lot of people don't understand about filmmaking is there's there's this low level where you can make these fantastic flicks on what are considered micro budgets. And then there's a massive gap between the like five million to the 50 million section where it goes to mid range. And there's like a dead zone there. It's like everything under a million. And then everything over 50 million. It's a weird right. thing. Yeah, well, what was it? You made the comparison to Bubba Hotep. They had a $1 million budget for that film. Yeah. They have absolutely nothing else just have, by shooting on red and everything. I think the quality of the film really strikes through. Yes. Well, I was lucky enough to own a red, so I didn't have to rent it. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, there you go. Excellent. There you go. I was going to ask if you rented or, or bought purely because you said that you get together for like short films every now and then. And I thought he must have bought it. He must be like, let's keep practicing it with it. And yeah. Getting well, some actually, use out of uh, it. All the short films I've been shooting on a uh, Lumex GH5 because right. it's small, light, easy to use. It's um, and the quality of it's pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the higher end uh, Panasonic's are getting a lot of rave reviews on that. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually i'm really happy with that camera uh to the point that i've bought multiple of them now so i can run multiple cameras at one time that's right very cool yeah, yeah. Nice. so what's next what's next on the on the filament line for you then um well right now we're working on uh trying to put the money together for a tv series called murder me sunshine all right Ooh. Okay. It's about a teenage girl from the perfect family in the perfect neighborhood at the perfect school, and she has an addiction problem, and her addiction is killing people. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of the concept behind it is uh her going and asking for help, and anybody listening to her because of the words she uses interprets it as a drug addiction and gives her advice related to drug addiction. And oftentimes that advice accelerates her killing. So is this going to be done uh, kind of tongue in cheek, like a black comedy, or is this going to be straight, like a dark kind of thing, like a horror thing? 
it, thriller. It's going to be more dark than anything. It's uh, I'm looking at a feel kind of similar to Dexter. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a question mark for you then. So your lead character's okay. killing people, and I, I don't want to ruin anything or spoilers or anything, but your lead character's and I'll cut it if I need to off the episode. <laughs> your lead character's killing people, so she's obviously a bad person, but she'll probably be likable to the audience because most people actually really like dark characters. That's Are Dexter, you gonna... Dexter was likable. Yeah, and that was the problem with Dexter was they kept trying to force feed that everything he does is wrong. And so they constantly try to punish him, which is why you wind up with those two terrible season finales. Whereas I was going to say, are you going to let her be just free to be a bad person? Or are you going to try to hold her down with morals? No, no, I'm letting her be free. Um, oh, it's right to hear. When she kills people, every single person she kills is because she has a personal grudge against them for some reason. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So it's not a moralizing show. That's what I like to hear. No, That's all I want uh, no. to know. <laughs> I don't believe in telling stories like that. I want to tell something that is going to captivate you, draw you in, and then you're going to walk away. Why am I rooting for the villain? That's what we love. Both yeah. me and Hank often talk about things like that. Yeah. Like I said, I, I hate a- that moralizing that people add to these these fantastically dark characters and then they have to strip it away to go, no, no, but that's bad. Don't like that. Don't like that. Right. I wrote a book. Um, it's up on Amazon called God's Assassin. It's about a uh, uh, an assassin for the Pope, right. and it's like a cyberpunky with a little bit of supernatural elements. But the main character, this priest who's killing people, he is one of the most despicable characters I've ever written. But if he fails at what he's doing, the whole world will suffer. And oh, then you're like, like well, I don't want to root for this bad guy because this guy is bad. <laughs> you know, it's like, but you come away from it where you're rooting for him and you want him to be the hero. So why isn't that your next project? That sounds awesome. The that would be a super budget. Um I can, I, yeah, I can say that. I need yeah. Fifty million dollars to make that. <laughs> But if anyone happens to have $50 million and they're exactly. intrigued by that idea, you know the man to get in touch with. He obviously has yep. the rights to his story, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm, and I'm a good screenwriter, so I can write, I can write the screenplay for it. It's, uh, but the story, that's, a, that's another story that was based on my gaming. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, um, I, played a, I played a character, and I decided I wanted to play the most despicable person that ever existed, and that's who I played. So out of curiosity, Steve, how many uh, books have you written? Twelve. Wow. And can people just find these on Amazon or is there like a site? Most of them are on Amazon. A few of them are out of print. Okay. You don't have like a site where you can get like like limited editions or anything for people? I just want to kind of hawk your wares, man. The only, the only, on, on eBay, I think somebody is selling a limited edition of my first book. It was a handmade leather bound copy. We, only 25 were ever made. Wow. We, we had a branding iron custom made and we branded every copy. Oh, and that's cool. uh, it's made with archival paper and stitched together in the style of a, uh, a 12th century monk. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I mean, the, the book looks like a spell book, and it's a cocktail recipe book based on horror stories. It's called Blasphemous Cocktails. That is such a cool concept. I think everyone yeah, rush I, to eBay, get this thing picked up. Yeah, I think the per- person on eBay, the last time I saw it, it was selling for like a thousand bucks. 
And there's only 25 in the whole world. That's that's a steal. It's a yes. steal indeed. <laughs> Damn, that's a cool idea, man. I like that. Shit. Yeah, yeah, we did that. I ran a Kickstarter for that. And that was one of the things I set up on the Kickstarter. I was friends with a guy who works for the uh, Walters Art Gallery. And he does manuscript restoration. And he used the equipment that he does for his restorations to make these books for me. And the books are phenomenal. That Excellent. is so cool. Again, like like most things, we always tell people when they ask, you know, how do you get into filmmaking and all this sort of stuff? I never say go to school or uni or anything. I just say try to know people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Networking is the number one most important factor of anything to do with film stuff. Because, again, it's so highly collabor- collaborative. But it's even the same right there, like you said. If you hadn't known that guy, how much would that have, like, just even discovering how to do it would have been such a journey by I- itself? doing it <laughs> but because i knew him it, the idea came into my head i was watching um what's that movie called uh the the ninth gate all right yeah yeah with uh, yeah. johnny depp, and, johnny depp yeah. he had that book that he's that he's researching in that and i was like man i'd love my cocktail recipe book to look like that book <laughs> that is cool man yeah Amazing. See, so I, this, like, I like the way you're thinking outside the box all the time. I like that. Yes. Oh, well, that, I, I, you think these ideas all the time. Most of the time, we don't do anything with them. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 I guess it was about 20 years ago. I won a trip with uh, Tony Robbins. Do you know who that is? Yeah, the uh, self-help guru. Yeah. Yes. So I went out to California with him for a week. I walked on a thousand degree hot coals in my bare feet. I mean, wow. we did all right. And when I went there, I thought it was the hokiest thing I had ever seen. <laughs> but now, 20 years later, I've realized I've incorporated everything he teaches into my life. And because of it, I find I'm fairly successful with the things I do. That is fantastic. That's a, that's a really nice message for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Again, like you say, yeah. we have all these thoughts, these dreams, these ideas, these things that we think, and then people don't act on them. And obviously, if you act on a couple of them, yeah, you're going to make some mistakes or you're going to make miss some marks. But if you don't ever aim or shoot, you're never going to hit nothing. But that's Absolutely. The other, that's the other thing as well. You learn by mistakes and you move forward. Definitely. The so biggest, uh, sorry, go the on. Big- failure is lack of trying exactly huge yeah don't believe in yourself or you're afraid and you don't try get out there try it the worst you're going to do is not succeed and then you can start over and you will now have learned something well it's like there's a what's that expression you miss every shot you don't take Mm -hmm. yes yeah most definitely and the other thing about success is finding what you want. You need to know what you want to be able to get it. Most people don't know what they want. That is so true. We often talk about this ourselves. And it's so true. People just really do not know. And they just end up living a dead end life. It's yep. it's funny. I've always known more or less what I wanted. And I always think everyone else feels the same, or I used to think that I should say. Uh, Recently, we've been giving talks to universities about filmmaking and collaboration and things, and we'll talk to the students when when it's over. And they'll come to us and people will be be like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm studying to be an editor. 
Okay, is that, that's what you want to do? Well, I don't know. I also think maybe writing or possibly behind the scenes, maybe also boom operation. I might get into directing and I also might do this other thing. And it's like, you have no freaking idea what you want to do then. You're just kind of going around feeling what feels right. At least that's the age you should be doing that. Then I come across adults who are exactly the same, who are in their 30s or 40s. And it's like, dude, man, pick a lane. How are you going to ever follow a dream if you have 60 dreams and they're all disparative? Right. Yeah. You have to, you have to focus, got figure out what you want and then you take steps to make it happen. And if it's not right for you, then make a change. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Hey, so I'm out of curiosity with your uh, TV pilot idea. Are you trying to do like just the pilot or a full season? Do you have anyone already attached to that or any networks or anything? Right now, we've been talking with Lifetime Network, actually. Um, they told me if I produce a pilot and they like it, then they'll pick it up and pay for the rest of it. We have oh, 13 episodes written, and I have uh, season two and season three already outlined. Ah, oh, very cool, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I wish you nothing but the, the greatest luck with that one. because That sounds like something yeah. I would definitely like to watch. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. I hope we can pull it off. I this is if you uh, look at my books on Amazon, Murder Me Sunshine was originally one of my books, more of a novella. And I always felt like the story when I originally wrote it was not that good, but it had a lot of potential. So this going to a series allowed me to greatly expand upon the story and fill in all the little gaps and close out the little plot holes and stuff like that. That's tremendous. Must feel very cathartic to go back to an original idea and, and rework it and have more time with it and then take it to a new medium. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. I always think I, I look at like someone, uh, I don't know if you've ever read his work, but Douglas Adams, who did like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he deliberately made it different in every medium that he did it in. So it was different as a radio show, different as a novel, different as a TV show, different as a movie. And I thought that was cool. Instead of being the story you've come to expect, you always try right. to make it different for each medium. And I thought that was cool. No, I like that as well. And Douglas Adams, he, he was one of my favorite authors. I mean, I read every book that that man wrote. <laughs> ah, he was a tremendous talent. Yes. Very cool. Well, Wayne, do you have anything you'd like to get into before we start to close this out? Um, I don't want to take up too much of Steve's time. I was going to say, I think we've covered nearly everything. I just wish you all the best with, with everything you're working on in the future. And especially... Chappy Nimble. Um, you know, I think you've done absolutely amazing with it. Um, stay in touch, basically, is all I would say. You know, just keep in touch and, yes, you know, we'll try and plug you wherever we can. Yeah, and obviously, well, uh, I- let the people know where they can find uh, all your work and things of that nature. Hawk away. All right. Steve Wallet. Actually, we didn't even talk about this, but stevewallet.com, <laughs> my name. SteveWallet.com. You can go look up my uh, fashion line of shoes that I designed. You can go to Amazon and just type my name in the search bar to see my books. You can go to FuriousNerdProductions.com to see things about the various projects I'm working on right now. Obviously, you can look me up on IMDb if you want to see all the other BS I've worked on. And please tell me if you design custom shoes, please tell me there's a Jack B. Nimble shoe. There are some Jack B. Nimble shoes Yay. in there. Yeah. <laughs> Synergy. Yeah. My my production partner uh actually at a lot of the events we go to wears my shoes, which is really cool. Excellent. Awesome. 
Hey, that's that's so cool that you got again fingers in many pies, man. You obviously I just I get bored. But I, but I don't know why. I just get bored, you know. I work on one project and then I'm off on another while I'm thinking about three more. But I gotta ask, right? Why shoes? Of all the different things, the clothing items, you could be designing shirts or anything. Why shoes? You've been to film festivals and conventions, and when you've gone to them, the one thing that you see everybody handing out is T-shirts or hats. I was already going to see it. Is it because it's different? Yes, that's why. I was at a convention, and this girl walked past me, and I was checking out her shoes, right? Mm. And she had a button on the shoelaces, and I leaned over and looked at the button, and it was this guy named uh, Merle Rasmussen. He uh, he designed a game called uh, Top Secret. It was about Cold War spies, and it was his face on her shoe. And I was like, "That is <laughs> awesome! That is such a cool way of advertising. Nobody's doing shoes." So I I started doing research on how to do shoe design, and I found a company that helped me make custom shoes. And they're handmade Italian leather shoes. Every pair is made for you when you order it. And every pair has my logo on it. And that's my advertising. That is so cool. And you see, everyone laughed at me when I said custom thongs. (laughs) Um, I'm an Etsy store, too. If you go to my Etsy store, I think I have a pair of custom thongs. Shut up. There you go. There you go. I don't know if they're still there, but I did design a pair. If they're not there, I'll put them back on the store within the week. Bam. Check out the Etsy if you want a custom thong. See, because I've always, I saw this one thing someone made once. It was the the Necronomicon, but it was a thong, so it was Necronomathong. And I thought that was the coolest fucking (laughs) thing I've ever seen in my life. I like it. Well, Steve, I got to say, it's been absolutely a pleasure talking with you today, and I really enjoyed the movie, and I can't wait for everyone to get to see it. Yeah, I'm very grateful that you guys brought me on. Thank you for giving me the time on your show. Oh, it's been great fun having you, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing where things go. I really hope that this uh, was it. Uh, Murder me, sunshine. What was the name again? I'm so bad. With Murder names. me, sunshine. Yeah. Murder me, sunshine. I'm looking forward to seeing that come to life, man. Definitely, definitely. I was saying, if you like Dexter, I know you will like it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Dexter. I know you used to be hung. I don't know if you still are, no, but yeah. I was until they had their finales where they had to be all righteous and poor Dexter has to be punished and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Back when he was just hip and killing people and enjoying his life, I really enjoyed the show. But yes, uh, it's been really cool having you, Steve, as well. Everybody, as he says, go to his website, Steve Wallet. Dot com and check out his Etsy and look at his books. Check out the movie when it comes out. Keep a prize. Look at Furious Nerd Productions and, you know, uh, give this man a little bit of extra extra viewing and credit over there. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, movie madness at deadrealfilms.com. You can always go to our website, deadrealfilms.com forward slash movie madness as well. You can also reach us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that other social bullshit. And uh, yeah, again, Steve, lovely having you, man. I look forward to everything that's coming. And uh, thanks for talking with us today. Yep, you guys are awesome. Take care. You're our best. You're awesome too, man. And everybody else, keep watching those great movies. Keep enjoying yourself. And we'll catch you next time on Movie Madness. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.